You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody. This is Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And uh, we're going to talk about Frasier on this show. Not uh, one of my favorite sitcoms. We're actually going to talk about Frasier's. Talked about Adam Frasier on the last show. And of course, as you would expect, because it's the big news in the last 24 hours, we're going to talk about Todd Frasier on this show. Uh, so maybe uh, without even knowing it, it's the beginning of Frasier Week. Uh, Two days into it, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, thanks for joining me today. Yes, we will have some uh, analysis of that Todd Frazier signing with the Mets. Uh, another signing, though, uh, Sung Wan Oh going to the Texas Rangers on a $2.75 million deal with a club option for 2019. Uh, we have some arbitration-related news. We've got a, Darny Bar- a Darwin Barney sighting uh, and some uh, news on the uh, Cincinnati Reds rotation. But uh, in addition to the news, we've also got a uh, continuation of something that I started on yesterday's show, not just talking about Frasers, but uh, talking about uh, my top 10 sleepers and busts and also 10 outliers from last season that I'm going to watch very closely in 2018. So uh, all of that coming up. But let's start with the big news, Todd Frazier. And now the uh, Triborough Bridge, which I don't think is even called the Triborough Bridge anymore. Heading uh, <laughs> from the Bronx to Queens uh, on a two-year deal with the Mets uh, worth $17 million. So uh, another sign of the, uh, the uh, very uh, soft market for, for players uh, so far this offseason. Uh, you know, that's uh, a lot less than I would have thought Todd Frazier would have commanded, even after a down season. And, of course, that down season is a big part of the fantasy-related story for uh, Todd Frazier. Last year, he hit 213, splitting time between the White Sox and Yankees. Hit 27 home runs, a bit down from his uh, previous year's uh, production, uh, and only four stolen bases. And I, you know, a lot of people might skip over that with Todd Frazier, but Nando DeFino, he taught me well what, six seasons ago, pointed out to me that Todd Frazier is actually pretty fast, and he's had some good stolen base uh, seasons. Not, you know, great, but but helpful stolen base seasons. Only four last year. So I've got a little Twitter poll seeing uh, what people think about Todd Frazier's speed on the base pads. But uh, in good news, it wasn't all bad. In fact, it wasn't all bad at all for Todd Frazier last year. He had a 344 on-base percentage, which for somebody who typically has a very low batting average and certainly had a low one last year, that's pretty healthy on-base percentage. And that that's these things are related. The fact that the power was down a little bit, run production was down a little bit, didn't get 80 runs or 80 RBIs. It's the first time since 2013 he'd failed to do either of those things, much less failed to do both of them at the same time. So, yeah, there's a lot negative to look at here. But the positive is that he did get on base more. His overall value in the real world was a little greater last year than it had been in 2016. 
Uh, so on the one hand, you've got his fantasy value taking a bit of a hit, but you had his real world value actually improving. And there's a, a link to both of these things. And that link is that he didn't swing the bat very much last year. And I know I've talked about this on a recent episode, but it's worth repeating because it has everything to do with trying to figure out and project Todd Frazier for 2018. So the swing rate went way down from 46%, which is maybe a little above average, down to 40%. Uh, and actually, I want to make sure I have those numbers right. It's always a bad idea for me to try to do these things, <laughs> do these things by memory. Uh, but, um, you know, the it, it was a six-point drop. I want to make sure I get the actual the actual numbers right on that. But um, so on the one hand that that more patient, less uh, aggressive approach helped Todd Frazier to get more walks, a lot more walks shattering his uh, previous career high. Um, Also getting on base at a career high clip as well, but swinging the bat less gave him thus uh, fewer opportunities to to hit those home runs and maybe to to drive in runs. So yeah, got on base more, but in terms of things that you get rewarded for more often in fantasy baseball, being less aggressive really hurt Todd Frazier because in terms of raw power, there wasn't that much of a change. In terms of the strikeout rate, there wasn't that much of a change despite the fact that he was swinging the bat less. Uh, But I I just don't see that he's going to repeat that. Um. I you know may, I think there's a, maybe a new skill, a new approach there. But as we usually see with extreme changes like this, there is some regression towards the mean. And by the way, I'm sorry I wasted all sorts of time doubting myself about this because I was almost exactly right about those swing rates. It was 47 percent, not 46 percent. Uh, it was 40 percent last year, so just off by a little bit. Uh, so yeah, I I think that you know that regression could be coming and that happy medium of maybe a little bit lower of an on-base percentage, but maybe slightly higher batting average, a little bit more home run production, a little bit more run production. I think that's going to be a net positive for Todd Frazier. And I don't worry about the move to the Mets either. I mean, I think it's, it's, it should be a decent lineup. And especially once Michael Conforto comes back. And of course that's, that's a big question mark. Uh, when he comes back and, and how good he'll be. But I, I don't think it's a bad lineup. And I and the, the park doesn't worry me either. This will be the worst park factor that Todd Frazier will have seen for a home park in terms of home run production. But he's actually, the last three years, had pretty notably better power numbers in terms of home run to fly ball ratio and in terms of ISO on the road than whether it's uh, Great American Ballpark or Yankee Stadium or Guaranteed Rate Field, uh, his numbers were actually better on the road. Hard to explain, but I'm not going to sweat that too much because I think the the point here is uh, that uh, I, I, you don't have to worry about the park factor with Todd Frazier. So I would definitely write him in for 30-plus homers. I think he's going to regress positively, too, in terms of that batting average, maybe up around 230 which is not great, but uh, you're not you're not drafting Todd Frazier for the batting average, and I think we'll see some improvement there. Now, there are some collateral impacts from this deal that matter. 
Uh, as Dribble Cabrera will still be in the Mets starting lineup, but it'll it'll be as a second baseman. But that means that I think you've got to assume that the Mets' pursuit of jo- of Josh Harrison is over. And I think that means that you're looking at Brandon Nimmo in the starting lineup until Conforto returns. Um, so that's maybe not a huge impact, but particularly in deeper leagues, one that's worth worth noting. And just as an example, in the Fantrax beat Al Melchior league that just completed its draft, I did take Brandon Nimmo in the reserve rounds. You know, based on that expectation that there should be some playing time there. In a way, this for him is worse because I thought, well, if he gets de- dealt to Pittsburgh, he's probably just a starter for the whole year. Now he's probably more of a fill-in. But the thing is that Mets lineup, there's no shortage of players with some uh, injury risk. So if you're interested in, in Brandon Nimmo, uh, that's not necessarily a terrible thing that he's he's staying with the Mets. Now, in terms of other places Frazier could have gone, he could have re-signed with the Yankees. That would have been an obvious third-base solution, but that's one that's no longer available to them. So maybe they do go with Miguel Andahar. There was that piece from Joel Sherman a week or two ago where he speculated just as much. So I think that, uh, again, in early drafts, if you're looking at speculating Miguel Andahar, uh, his chances of playing regularly early on look a little better right now. So one more thing I want to get to in terms of uh, Todd Frazier, I did a Twitter poll, as I try to do most days when I do a show related to something I'm going to talk about. And I asked the Twitter universe which Frazier is going to steal the most bases this season. And I limited it to just the three choices, Adam Frazier, Clint Frazier, Todd Frazier. I did get one write-in vote for Frazier Crane. Uh, but I'm going to exclude that. I'm going to exclude that from the totals and just limit this to Major League Frasers. Um, and actually, the one who won is the one who's really, by far, at least assured of of being a Major League Fraser, and that's Clint. Clint won the poll in terms of who people think will steal the most bases out of this trio. Clint Frazier got 46 percent of the vote. Adam Frazier, who I talked about extensively on Monday's show was close with a 41% of the vote. And poor Todd Frazier, the one who's almost certainly going to play the most, only got 13%. So folks have to have to listen to Nando DeFino. That uh, Todd Frazier speed is a real thing. He could rebound from those measly four steals that he had last year. Two years ago, 2016, he had 15 steals. And 13 steals the year before that, 20 steals the year before that. I'm not sure why why it was down last year. And he was on base more last year, remember. So a little mysterious, but um, I, I think double digits are, are a possibility. That said, of the three, I would have to agree, it's probably not going to be Todd. I would bet on Adam Frazier just as a result of playing time. But again, it was very close between Adam and Clint Frazier. So uh, Mike Florio. Uh, he's the producer of the show, does does great work here on Fantasy Sports Radio, and I know Mike's a, a Mets fan, so um, want to bring Mike on here and get his his take. But first of all, Mike on on the Twitter poll, who who do, which Frazier do you think is gonna steal the most bases this year? I'd have to go agree with you. I think Adam Frazier, just because Clint, we don't know where he is going if he even could fit into that Yankee lineup with all the options they have. Maybe if he gets traded or something, but I would go with Adam as well. 
All right. So are, are you feeling good about this uh, from a Mets perspective? Yeah, I think it was a good deal for the Mets. They got him on a very cheap, like, team-friendly deal. I think coming into the offseason, Todd Frazier probably thought he would have got more money per season. Uh, for fantasy, I don't think this really boosts him up a whole lot, but I think for the Mets, it was a good signing. Yeah, I mean, I have to agree. Um, well, let me, let me put it this way, because the alternative that I was reading the most about and that seemed the most plausible was for them to keep as Dribble Cabrera at third and then make the trade for Josh Harrison. Are you glad the Mets went this direction as opposed to making that trade for Harrison? Yeah, I am, because they don't have to give up uh, Nemo like they would have had to get Josh Harrison. And it also came out last week that, ironically enough, as Drupal said, he prefers second, which is the position that he complained about playing last season. <laughs> so that, that helps. I, I guess he's a little bit more comfortable over there. So it should help the Mets infield defense. Yeah, no, I, I think so, too. I agree. And, and that's why, because probably about two, three seconds before you got to the part where you said, this is the position he complained about playing last year. I'm saying, what the heck? I thought he didn't like playing second base. So that's that's funny uh, that, you know, these things, uh, they do shift uh, in time. And, you know, I made the comment, Mike, uh, a couple of minutes ago that the Mets lineup, I think it has the potential to actually be pretty good. But there's just so many wild cards in terms of how many games is um, Cespedes is going to play. Uh, how many games is Conforto going to play, and, and how good is he going to be when he comes comes back? I still think Travis Darno has a shot at, at being a producer. Um, what what's your assessment at, at this point now with Frazier added to the Mets as a as a whole lineup? I think there's going to be a lot of home runs and a lot of strikeouts. Uh, I I don't know if the speed is going to, like the stolen base total will jump for Frazier just because I know it's a new management, but last year and the year before that, the Mets really hadn't attempted many stolen bases. They also have a pretty slow lineup around Todd Frazier. I expect first base, whoever wins the job, we will also see Wilmer Flores platoon there. I think we'll see a platoon kind of at catcher. I do like the depth that they have in the outfield with Ligaris and Nemo, but my big concern is, uh, mainly for fantasy too with this, is who's going to hit leadoff for them once Conforto is back. I think he could be in there, because before that I, I think it will be Nemo and the high OBP, but I, that to me is interesting because they don't really have a natural leadoff hitter. You know that you're right, they don't. And, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, there's the part of me that thinks, Maybe, and I know I don't think this would ever happen, but you know Todd Frazier, if he continues to be ultra patient, uh, he may be as good of a, a candidate as they had, given that he does have a little bit of speed and he did show the ability last year to get on base. But obviously, he's far more valuable to them as hitting in the middle of the order. So you could say the same with Conforto, a, but they used mm-hmm, it there last yeah. year. I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. No, it is interesting, and at least, yeah, with Nim, they have somebody who looks like uh, just a perfect fit in that spot uh, until Conforto comes back. So, uh, you know, these these things do work themselves out typically. So, you I'm know, hoping and if, maybe if if he plays really well, you'll play Jay Bruce at first base, keep him in the lineup. Yeah, yeah, and I had also read that um, Frazier was willing to play some first base. Yeah, that unless I, I the thing is though, like I'm cool with that. But if if Nimo is playing so well, I would want to keep him in the lineup, and moving Bruce would allow that. Yeah, no, right. That's a good point because if you're moving Frazier to first base, then you're probably looking at Wilmer Flores rather than Nimo being in the lineup, 
And I think Nimmo gives them that element that, you know, Flores in a lot of ways profiles an awful lot like the rest of the hitters in this lineup. And, you know, I think we're maybe we're overlooking another possibility, which is Adrian Gonzalez. Maybe he gets a shot at leadoff. He uh, might be the slowest leadoff hitter in history. That would be true. <laughs> that, that might be a little too out of the box. <laughs> maybe. Either uh, way, it comes down to the pitching with this team, though. Uh, well, yeah, that's absolutely true. So, uh, I mean, and, and I was reading that they may add a starter, uh, which surprised me a bit, but I actually think that'd be a good idea. Um, but uh, how, how are you feeling about the rotation at this point? Obviously, a lot of question marks. Yeah, outside of Syndergaard and DeGrom, there's not, there's a lot of, I guess you could say, potential there, but is there really after what we saw last season? I, I do think they would be smart to add, like, a Lance Lynn or someone like that, a proven guy who can give you innings. Yeah, yeah, and I saw some speculation about that, but uh, don't know if that will actually happen. But anyhow, well, Mike, thank you for uh, joining me on the other side of the board here, and uh, we're going to head into break. And we come back, talk a little bit about uh, Sungwon Oh and the Rangers bullpen. So stick around. Sneakers are taking over tailgates and alumni homes across America. Skicks Canvas High Top, Low Top, Slip-On, and Kids Tennis Style Sneakers, designed in officially licensed college colors and logos, is a must-have for every college fan's wardrobe. Fun, fashionable, and comfortable. Whether you're at the big game or watching the game at home, Skicks helps fans perform better. Go to Skicks.com and use promo code FNTSY for 15% off your pair now. That's Skicks.com. Skicks Sneakers, the soul of a true fan. Hey there, everybody. It's me, Joe Pizzapia. Baseball is back, and that means the Fantasy Baseball Black Book is back as well. It's me. It's Paul Spore writing starting pitching profiles. It's Jake Seeley. It's Sammy Reed writing DFS. It's a whole lot of greatness right here for you. You can get the new Fantasy Black Book for baseball on Amazon, on iTunes. You can get it in paperback. You can get it for your Kindle. You can get it anywhere you want, but make sure you get it, because once you go Black Book, you never go back. This is Lamar Michaels of CreatorSports.com and host of the Tout Wars Hour on the Fantasy Sports Network. Join Justin Mason and me at our new time, Sundays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, as we break down the fantasy games you love with the biggest names in the industry. Plus, starting with the 2018 baseball season, we'll review the Tout Wars Fab Bits live on the show, hours before your league's waiver deadline. So join Justin, Lord Zola, and special guests every Sunday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern for the most in your fantasy sports world. Are you new to Daily Fantasy? Are you a veteran? Either way, you can better your chances of winning money and lots of it by going to DailyRoto.com. Multiple people have become millionaires thanks to the guys at Daily Roto. Why not take advice from the experts? You can become a millionaire too. Just go to DailyRoto.com to rock Daily Fantasy Sports. <laughs> it never gets old. All right, everyone. Two truths, one lie. I was going to be on The Real World. I play the oboe. And I saved a kid's life. You definitely never saved a kid's life. I'm serious. 
Last summer, I donated bone marrow to a kid who had leukemia. Saving a life. The truth is, it's easier than you think. Learn how at DKMS.org. <laughs> who knew we were living with a hero? Um, a hero <laughs> who plays the oboe. <laughs> The sun can make your outdoor deck and patio space so hot and uncomfortable you can't use it. But now there's the Sunsetter Retractable Awning. It provides protection from the sun's harmful rays and can keep your patio about 20 degrees cooler. Call 800-869-4993 now and you can get your Sunsetter for as little as $599 with your special $200 discount certificate. Call 800-869-4993 now for your discount certificate and you'll also get a free awning idea kit. Call 800-869-4993. That's 800-869-4993. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And, um, you know, I had uh, uh, Gary Thorne on the show on Monday. And uh, we talked a bit about Clayton Richard. He made the comment sort of right at the very end about how Clayton Richard is sort of a, a strange guy to, to, you know, tie your, your fortunes to. And, um, you know, speaking of that, if, if you were listening to the show last year and you were a really regular listener you may remember i was a little bit hung up on daniel nava uh i just he did some really cool things last season um i mean there were things some of the things that were you know had been in his profile before but he really did a great job of spraying the ball around the field and and hitting a lot of line drives and really being a a, you know a good hitter uh, you know, especially uh, against righties, of course, uh, a, a good hitter for both batting average and, and on base percentage. Not a, a whole lot of power there. Um, and maybe you're starting to see a pattern because I, I waxed rhapsodic about Adam Frazier on yesterday's show. And there's a lot of similarities in the profile. Uh, but again, you know, sort of like with pitchers where I, I look to see where can you find value with pitchers that don't get a whole lot of strikeouts because that's where you should be able to get a, a lot of value. Same thing with hitters that don't hit for a lot of power. Obviously, if you could get great power hitters at a discount, at a value, that's what you want ultimately. But you can't always get the players you want, as Mick Jagger once said. And so sometimes you have to you know, fill in the cracks with a player here, a player there that does something a little unusual, finds value in a different way. And I thought Daniel Nava was that sort of player. And for, for a little while, he was playing fairly regularly. And then, you know, towards the end of the season, uh, you know, you had Hoskins up and, and Nick Williams and, you know, that, that, that ended that for Daniel Nava. So I was really wondering as a free agent, what was going to happen to him this year? Well, I just uh, saw on my Twitter feed here that he has an agreement with the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, speaking of Adam Frazier. So uh, let's see if I'm looking at this just for the first time here. This is, oh, this is from Ken Rosenthal. That yeah, they have uh, an agreement on a minor league deal, which is pretty much what I would have expected. So um, yeah, I'm not exactly sure where he would fit in. I would assume probably as a bench player if he did make the major league roster. But uh, anyways, that I'm happy about that. I don't know if it's going to have a fancy impact, but at least now we know where Daniel Nava has wound up. But in much bigger news, the Rangers have an agreement with Sung Wan Oh for a $2.5 million deal for 2018 and a $4.5 million club option. Uh, Ken Rosenthal was also first with that news of the agreement. 
And Devin Fink of Beyond the Box Score was the first to come out with those contract amounts. Also, uh, the Orioles have come to an agreement with Jonathan Scope, thus avoiding arbitration. He's going to be playing for $8.5 million this year, Jonathan Scope. And I'm going to talk a bit about him because he's another player that Gary and Thorne brought up on yesterday's show. Gary raised some really interesting points, made a very eye-opening comparison between Scope and Renette Odor. And Odor in early drafts is going way, way later. And uh, that made me sort of rethink things a little bit there. So I'm going to revisit that. The Rangers have signed Darwin Barney to a minor league deal. He would, uh, I think, best scenario, best case scenario there, be a utility player for them, has been a very good defensive player for for several years. Uh, last year, I didn't realize, talking about Todd Frazier's speed, he stole seven bases in limited playing time, Darwin Barney. Uh, hit just 232, though, six home runs. So these days, that's not so much power. Uh, but Darwin Barney now has a team. And this, according to MLB.com, that the Reds' top four spots in their rotation are, are spoken for. Uh, Anthony Desclafani, Homer Bailey, Brandon Finnegan, and Luis Castillo, they're expected to come out of spring training in those top four spots. There's a whole lot of contenders for that number five spot. Uh, and I like a few of these, uh, these contenders. Tyler Maley uh, is one. Sal Romano, Robert Stevenson. The, the latter two of those I drafted in the Fantrax beat Al Melchior League. Amir Garrett, who got off to a great start last year. They got hurt and came back and just wasn't able to find that level again. Cody Reed. Uh, uh, Mike Lorenzen is actually going to be a part of this mix. That's interesting, too. He, of course, uh, set up for Rice Glacius last year. And early in the season was at least nominally a co-closer. Well, I guess really tri-closer, I guess you would say, because Drew Storen was a part of that mix, Lorenzen, uh, Iglesias. And the idea was that, in particular, Iglesias and Lorenzen would would kind of t- tag team it and swap off because Brian Price wanted to use them for multiple innings. And that experiment pretty much went by the wayside pretty quickly. But Lorenzen apparently uh, impressive enough in that role, and he was good that he'll be a part of that mix. And then also Jackson Stevens, who we saw a bit late last season as well. That's a lot of contenders, and it's a shame in a way. Now, that said, if you go back and you look at that front four, uh, I don't think too many of us have serious debts about Luis Castillo. I've talked about him quite a bit lately. But those first three, Anthony Desclafani, Homer Bailey, Brandon Finnegan, uh, you know, all coming back from some sort of health issue. And... Um, you know, so there there could be room, uh, I would think, for more than one out of that, that contending group. But I'll uh, I'll break that down a little bit uh, later in the show. And then finally, the Giants are going to retire Barry Bonds' number twenty-five this season. So um, so there you go. Uh, well, let's go back to the Sung Wan Oh news. So he joins that Rangers bullpen, which had quite a bit of depth last year and a lot of the same. Pitchers, the same relievers are back. Uh, I would think Alex Claudio would be the opening day closer, but again, things can happen in spring training. So that's uh, you know, it's certainly not a done deal in the way that you, know, you you don't question who the Dodgers closer is or the Yankees or the Red Sox closer. Uh, but I, I I don't have too much doubt that Alex Claudio is going to be 
at the top of that depth chart. But you still got Jose Leclerc. Um, you've still got Keone Kayla. You've got uh, Jake Diekman. And now you've also got Sangwon Oh. So that could be a very good bullpen if, if everybody's in top form and everybody's healthy. And then, you know, I would also say you add Matt, Matt Bush to that most likely because, you know, right now he's slated in as the uh, number five starter. But um, I'm going to just double check on this because I think that's only because Martin Perez is um, not a hundred percent sure for opening day. Um, but let's see. So yeah, that's, that is correct. So if Martin Perez were uh, available, um, then, you know, Matt Bush would begin the year in the bullpen, but regardless, I would think Matt Bush probably goes back to the bullpen at some point, even if he does start the year in the uh, Rangers rotation. But of course, uh, Rangers just recently signing uh, Bartolo Colon, um, they've got a little bit of it up there. Uh, John Neese was a recent signing as well. So, you know, that said, I mean, maybe, I, or I would think actually in all likelihood, Matt Bush is probably a part of that bullpen mix too. But who's really, you know, poised to close if it's if it's not Claudio, whether it's because of a bad spring or just struggles during the season? And again, I if I didn't, if I wasn't clear before, I just want to say, I really like Alex Claudio. I think he gets underappreciated in fantasy because of the lack of the strikeouts. And I understand the lack of the strikeouts themselves is a detriment because you're not getting as much in that category as you would with a typical closer who's getting a strikeout per inning or well over a strikeout per inning. But he's just so good at getting ground balls and inducing soft contact that he's very effective at closing out games and keeping the ERA low and um, you know, it shouldn't hurt you in whip either because uh, he's got really good control. So, you know, that said, I mean, I think it's very speculative to talk about any of these candidates as being somebody who's got a really great shot to get a whole bunch of saves with the Rangers. I'm just not expecting that, but I think it's the obvious place to go. Uh, when you see Sangwano, who was somebody who two years ago had been extremely effective for the Cardinals, good closer, started last year uh, out in that role and, and then you know lost it after a lot of struggles. And he's an interesting case to, to look at from last year because a lot of things went wrong, but not everything went wrong for Sangwano. It's, it's a case where you look at the stats and it was, it was not great. It wasn't you know, a complete disaster, but it also wasn't as bad as it looks now, regardless uh, of whether, you know, he regains his 2016 form or not. I mean, things that are reasonable to expect from Sangwon O is he's going to allow a lot of fly balls. That's something that's going to play not as well in Texas as it did in St. Louis. And even as a lesser version of himself, he's going to get a lot of swings and misses. The thing is that he gets a lot of swings, period. So he doesn't get a lot of called strikes. So O is going to have to revert to something closer to his 2016 form if he's really going to help you in strikeouts. Because maybe you're not even looking at him as a potential closer. You're just saying, here's somebody who a couple years ago was really great for strikeouts. Well, he is going to have to improve there. He's going to have to uh, induce much less contact uh, in order to really be, be useful in that category. Uh, because he doesn't get a lot of called strikes. 
uh, what he has, has been very, very good at in both of his major league seasons, one of the best in the majors at inducing swings at pitches outside the strike zone. So that's all, almost always a good thing. Uh, so those are kind of the constants for Sung Wan Oh. Now, what was different last year was that while he was still really good at getting pit, uh, batters to chase pitches that weren't good pitches, he gave them better pitches to hit last year. That was probably the, the, the main crux of the problem was that he pitched in, in the strike zone a lot more often last year than he did in 2016. So what happened as a result? More contact, much higher rate of contact, a lot more home runs. His home run per nine went up from 0.6 to 1.5. So went from being exceptional in a park, that home park, that, of course, aided him a bit, especially being a fly ball pitcher, to giving up a high rate of, of home runs, even in a season where you know every almost everybody was giving up more than a home run per nine. He was well over that, 1.5. Uh, his strikeout rate as a result of the increased contact plummeted. So even though he got a, a, a lot of swings and misses above a 12% rate, his strikeout weight rate went from 32.9% to 20.5%. So cutting off more than a third from his strikeout rate. And a lot of that damage was done on his slider. His fastball was was pretty, it was only a little bit less effective than it had been in 2016. But something happened with the slider last year. And it's not like there was a big change in velocity or a big change in spin rate. It's really hard to figure out why his slider wasn't very effective last year, but it wasn't. The whiff rate and the ground ball rate on the slider were both cut almost in half. So a huge change in effectiveness in the slider. Maybe it's just simply hitters figured it out and he didn't adjust. I really don't have an answer there, but it is what it is. Um, so that's a pretty long laundry list of things that did not go well for Sung Wan Oh in 2017. But what did go right was that uh, he did not allow the fly balls that he that uh, were hit off of him, which again, that rate, it was a high rate in 2016, went up even more. 2017, hit off of him, generally didn't travel far at all. Only 301 feet in distance. That's very low, as opposed to 318 in his rookie season. But, again, that fly ball rate went up tremendously. Hit the average launch angle off of his slider as a rookie, 6.7 degrees. So it was basically his fastball was the pitch that all the, fast, uh, that all the fly balls were getting hit off of. Uh, a 6.7 average launch angle off the slider. Last year, that went up to 16.6 degrees from from just less than 7 degrees to just less than 17 degrees. Huge change. So somehow, figure uh, hitters figured out the slider and were able to get under it. And, and not necessarily, they didn't hit it farther. In fact, they hit it less far, but they hit it higher. And that was really at the crux of a lot of the problems for O last year. So maybe that's fixable. There's no clear, you know, change there in terms of velocity or, you know, something maybe that would suggest maybe a health problem. Uh, nothing there. So maybe it really just is a matter of an adjustment for, for O. But like I said, I'm looking at this as more of perspective for, you know, giving us a lot of, of strikeouts and a good ERA and a good whip in some deeper formats as opposed to, Wow, Sung Wan O's coming to Texas and he's gonna he's gonna get all the saves. 
I would bet against that. Uh, let's let's move on to Jonathan Scope, um, who we talked about on the show because he's one of Gary and, uh, Gary and Thorne's bust candidates. And I was not really – here's the thing. I would say I don't really – initially I hadn't bought into Scope's improvement in 2017. And sort of on the basis of that, I said, well, he's not a bust. But the thing is that sleeper or bust designations really have to be in relation to ADP. And Garion really nailed it because while you, you, you basically can have it both ways, you can buy into what Scope did in 2017, which I do, and think he's being overvalued. Uh, so, you know, his ADP, again, let's use Rugnet Odor as the, the measuring stick here. Odor right now in NFBC He's going 111th on average. Scope's going 63rd. I do think Scope's better. He's not that much better. He's not nearly 50 spots better <laughs> than the Odor. They do have very similar profiles, uh, similar skill set, and it's and, and I do think Scope gets gets a little bit of an edge. But that said, Odor he does have some I think some unrealized upside that you have to factor in. And then there's that big ADP gap. So even though I'm not that big on Odor, and I am, I have come around on Scope, I have to say that Scope is overvalued, and I think Odor is a little bit undervalued uh, as it stands. Um, so, yeah, again, something, you just have, just have to recast this uh, in terms of, of ADP. And I just don't think uh, Jonathan Scope should be that high 63rd overall uh in adp so anyways why i i want to break this down a little bit more after the break uh and we'll talk a little bit more about that reds rotation and also uh another bus pick from my top 10 so all that coming up right after this break Hey everybody, it's me, Joe Pizzapia, and guess what? I've got good news for you. It's 2018, and the Fantasy Black Book Show has just been moved to, that's right, Sunday mornings. Every Sunday, 9 a.m. till noon Eastern, you get me, you get George Kurtz, you get us talking fantasy, breaking hearts, breaking bones, and taking names. That's right, me and George Kurtz, the Fantasy Black Book, three hours every Sunday live right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Attention all authors. Page Publishing is looking for authors. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Page Publishing will get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, Apple iTunes, and other outlets. They handle all aspects of the publishing process for you. Printing, cover art, publicity, copyright, and editing. Call 800-292-8137 now for your free author submission kit. That's 800-292-8137 for your free author submission kit. Again, that's 800-292-8137. (laughs) <laughs> it never gets old. All right, everyone. Two truths, one lie. I was going to be on The Real World. I play the oboe. And I saved a kid's life. You definitely never saved a kid's life. I'm serious. Last summer, I donated bone marrow to a kid who had leukemia. Saving a life. The truth is, it's easier than you think. Learn how at DKMS.org. <laughs> who knew we were living with a hero? Um, <laughs> a hero who plays the oboe. <laughs> 
Hey, everybody, it's me, Joe Pizzapia, and guess what? I've got good news for you. It's 2018, and the Fantasy Black Book Show has just been moved to, that's right, Sunday mornings. Every Sunday, 9 a.m. till noon Eastern, you get me, you get George Kurtz, you get us talking fantasy, breaking hearts, breaking bones, and taking names. That's right, me and George Kurtz, the Fantasy Black Book, three hours every Sunday live right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. When you wake up in the morning, is fantasy sports usually the first thing on your mind? If the answer is yes, then you have to immediately tune into the Fantasy Sports Radio Network to get your day started. Scott Angle greets you every weekday morning from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on Fantasy Sports Today. It's bacon, eggs, and the king every morning. Scott delivers all the latest fantasy news and adds his own analysis to get your fantasy day rolling. Don't miss Fantasy Sports Today, weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Welcome back, everybody. This is Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And it's time to scoop up that uh, scope conversation I was having with myself and with you. And uh, just try to wrap that up because I, I just I want to make the argument. I do think Jonathan Scope should be ranked ahead of Rugnet Odor this year. And given ADP, that's not going out on a limb because uh, I mentioned before the break. Uh, Odor's ADP in NFC leagues right now is 111. Scopes is 63. I think there should be a narrowing, however. Odor up a little bit, scope down a little bit. And the you know the similarities are, are quite great. And I'm basically going to remake a lot of the argument that Gary and Thorne made on on uh, Monday's show. That uh, you know, these are both players who are not terribly patient. Uh, they're not terrible at making contact frequently, but they're not especially good at it either. They're a little worse than average, uh, but there's, there's power there. You know, there's power there. There's, I think scope gets uh, a little bit of the nod in terms of park factor, both at home and on the road within the division. Uh, but, you know, you can count on both of them for power. The big difference and Gary and point this out, is in Babbitt. Everywhere else, you could look and you could just see marginal differences here. That okay, Odor is a little bit more of a bolt pull hitter, but not um, you know not necessarily by a whole lot uh, in terms of walk rate, contact rate. You know, all that is sort of marginal in the differences. But last year, Odor hit 224 on balls in play. Scope hit 330. So big difference there. Huge difference. And. I do expect that to narrow this year, which overall then, since everything else is pretty equal, that's going to narrow the gap in value. But I do think that Scope is a a higher quality hitter. And what I mean by this is that if you look uh, last year at the stack cast categories, Garyan talked about um, barrels. That's the highest quality of contact, the form of contact that most often leads uh, to production. Uh, if you take barrels and then you also take the next couple of categories in, ter- in terms of their probability of leading to production. So there's there's barrels, there's solid contact, and there's flares and burners. And then everything else is really sort of very low probability of, of there being uh, production as a result of that that uh, contact. So if you take those those top three categories, 
Rugnit Odora was, and again, we're looking at just batted ball events, played appearances where there was contact made. So we're not even, we're, we're taking strikeouts, we're taking lack of contact completely out of the equation here. Out of the, the plate appearances where there was a batted ball event, Rugnit Odora was right around the league median in terms of percentage of those events that resulted in either a barrel, solid contact, a flare, or a burner. 37% on the nose last year. And the year before, 38%. And the median is somewhere sort of right in the middle of that. Now, last year, Jonathan Scope was at 41.1%. Now, that was a big change. And when I say I buy into the improvement, this is mostly what I'm talking about with Jonathan Scope. Because in 2016, that rate was just above 35%, below median. (laughs) So unless you don't buy into the improvement by Jonathan Scope, and in which case, you probably just think Rugnet Odor is the better hitter. But if you do buy into it, you you can rely on Jonathan Scope to make good productive contact more often, and by a good margin, more often than Rugnet Odor or, or, excuse me, Odor, Odor does. Why is that hard to say? Odor does. Try it at home. Uh, so, yes, I would argue that there should be some gap, but it's that that stat alone does not justify Odor being nearly fifty spots behind Jonathan Scope in ADP. So just wanted to clarify that. Uh, let's get back to the Reds rotation I talked about earlier. And particularly, I, I don't really want to focus on those fifth starter candidates. I've talked a bit about Robert Stevenson on the show, Sal Romano. Um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot to get to. Maybe in a, a future show soon I can do a little bit of work and maybe handicapping that race. But the point that I made earlier is that I don't think it's just going to come down to one person, most likely, because you've got Anthony Desclafani, who didn't pitch at all last year in the major leagues and barely even pitched uh, in minor league rehab uh, due to a strained UCL. So he's coming back from basically a year away. Then you've got Homer Bailey, who's uh, been making a, a pretty slow return from uh, Tommy John surgery. He did p- pitch last year. And I'll break down those stats a bit for Homer Bailey because on the surface it looks bad and there are some signs of hope there for Homer Bailey. And then there's Brandon Finnegan who had a very intriguing start to the year, but after four starts was, was shut down and he uh, is coming back from injuries to both of his shoulders, uh, including he had uh, surgery on his right shoulder, the non-throwing shoulder. So, um, you know, the, he's a question mark as well. So, you know, yeah, they're penciled in to begin the season in the rotation, but will they be effective? Will they be a hundred percent? Will they be will they be healthy? I think these are all questions that we do have to ask once uh, spring training starts. But for Homer Bailey, and he, I would say, of the three, I I don't feel like it's going out on any kind of a limb to say that he's drawing the least interest of the three. Sort of a, a forgotten man. And that, you know, that's what happens when you've really not been fantasy relevant for, for several years. I mean, the last time was really 2014 before Tommy John surgery. And, um, you know, a couple of years that were pretty much lost years because of the surgery. And then last year, the first real comeback year for Bailey 
and he put up a 6.43 ERA with um, subpar strikeout and walk rates. Was pretty good at avoiding the home run, though, and that's uh, kind of where the uh, the the glimmer of hope comes in for Homer Bailey. He did get better as the season went on, and a lot of times we'll use that. I've made that argument with Robert Stevenson. Stevenson, just as an example, finished the season so strong, looked like he turned a corner, looked like he made an adjustment. But would I look at it the same way if Robert if Robert Stevenson did that in June? I shouldn't, but I probably would. Um, so, you know, I, I overdo the end of the season trending into the next season argument. I think a lot of us do. But in Homer Bailey's case, given that he's coming from Tommy John surgery, a long layoff, a difficult transition back to starting, that the fact that he finished strong, that's a trend I can take a little bit more seriously. And over his last seven starts of the season, he put up a 3.58 ERA and a 1.19 whip. Not bad at all. And the key to that, because he wasn't striking out a whole lot of batters, just a little bit more than seven per nine, but respectable and better than he was doing earlier in the season. And a walk rate that was right around three per nine, which you could say the same thing about not very good, but within the range of respectable. You could, you know, probably find plenty of other you know pitchers that are in that range that you would consider viable uh, uh, for fantasy if they you know made up for it in some other way if they were really good at, at avoiding hard contact or extra base hits or um, were innings eaters or something and Bailey was certainly not an innings eater last year although for reasons that you can Definitely understand coming back from Tommy John. But over those last starts, last seven starts, he only allowed two home runs. And batters cranked up an isolated power against him of just 133, which is pretty good. It's not spectacular. And especially given that he only gave up two home runs. He probably gave up a fair number of doubles to get to 133. But taken as a whole, that's a fairly encouraging number. And it certainly does back up how he was able to have a good ERA and whip despite fairly pedestrian strikeout and walk rates. And pedestrian may even be a tad bit generous. So give it, you know, if you look at that as a trend and something he can build on, and maybe the strikeout rate gets a little bit better, maybe the walk rate gets a, a little better. And then suddenly you're looking at ratios that look like Homer Bailey ratios from, you know, four or five years ago. So I'm not saying I think that's going to happen, but maybe it could. It's not like, at least it's not just like I'm pulling this out of thin air and saying, oh, it's Homer Bailey. And in 2013, he was really good. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe there's uh, actually a trend that supports the notion that he could he could get within spitting distance of those kinds of numbers. So just something to think about with uh, with Homer Bailey. So I don't have Homer Bailey on my uh, sleepers list quite yet. There's a little bit of intrigue there, but no, he hasn't made the top 10 sleepers. Wasn't even really in the discussion. I'm going to take a break from the top 10 sleepers because Todd Frazier is on the list. I was hoping to go in order, but the news cycle didn't cooperate with me. And I did number 10 uh, yesterday, which was Adam Frazier. So we've got back-to-back Frazier sleepers, but Frazier was not number nine. So I'm going to save number nine 
for Wednesday's show. We're going to go out of order. <laughs> I'm not, hopefully this won't get too, uh, too messed up, but at least for now, I'm going to try to stay in order as much as I can. I'll tackle number nine tomorrow and just know that Todd Frazier's in there somewhere. So we got two members of the top 10 sleeper list, not in chronological, not chronological, not in numerical order, uh, with Adam Frazier being 10 and Todd Frazier being TBA mystery ranking. We'll get to that when we get to that part of the countdown. Uh, but I can't continue the bus countdown. And I started that yesterday. Manuel Margot was number 10. Number nine is Paul DeYoung. Cardinal shortstop, rookie last year. And made a real impression. People bought into, talk about you know buying into an unexpected level of production as a rookie. And, and pretty unheralded one when he came up. He's 13th in ADP among shortstops right now. I understand Shortstop is not the deepest position this year. So that might not really sound all that impressive. But nonetheless, for somebody who, you know, was largely unknown this time a year ago, 13th uh, among shortstops, 151st overall. And what he did to earn that was bat 285 with 25 home runs, 55 runs, and 65 RBI in just 443 plate appearances. So pretty robust production there, especially a nice batting average and nice power. And and here's the thing. I can simplify this with DeYoung because maybe you buy into that home run rate of 25 homers uh, in 443 plate appearances, which is pretty impressive. But the way he got it then, you can't really buy into the 285 batting average. He had a 34% ground ball rate, very low. A 47% pull rate, very high. Those kinds of things don't typically show up with a 285 batter who strikes out kind of a lot. So how did he do it? Well, he did hit a lot of line drives. Had 24% line drive rate, which is very good. But as it seems about 80 or 90% of the time, when I talk about line drive rates, I'm going to make the caveat, the disclaimer here. They fluctuate a lot. There's a handful of guys like Adam Frazier, like Daniel Nava, that hit line drives consistently. There isn't necessarily a reason to think that Paul DeYoung at this point is a part of that club. So let's put that aside, because even if you take the line drive rate as a given, you say, yeah, he's going to do that again in 2018. According to XStats, Paul DeYoung should have batted 257 last year, even with that line drive distribution. So if he regresses and goes down to a 20, 21% rate, or maybe even lower, then you're talking about an even lower batting average. So his X stats uh, slash from last year, expected average 257, expected OBP 298. He doesn't walk much. Here's the thing, expected slugging 475. So the power was mostly legit. Now, his expected home run total was 21, a little bit down from what it actually was. But, you know, from a shortstop batting 257, you'd probably be very happy to get a 475 expected slugging. So I'm not really putting much doubt on the power, but I just think that he's going to be way below average in terms of getting on base. He could actually wind up being a, a, a notable negative in the batting average column. And those two things are then going to have a collateral impact on his ability to score and driving runs. 
And then you got Jed Jerko, you know, hanging around there. Uh, there, there's an alternative there at shortstop. So I, I don't even feel that sanguine about Paul DeYoung being an everyday shortstop all season long. Uh, especially, you know, if he does regress and, and there are keys here for the regression. So I think he's being way overdrafted. And just like we used Rugnet Odor as a reference point to judge Jonathan Scope's ADP, let's take a look at Addison Russell. He's going right now 250th in NFBC on average. 250th. A lot, lot lower than DeYoung uh, at 151. So almost a full 100 points lower. Uh, similar projected ba- or expected batting average last year, a higher projected on-base percentage. Not quite as much power. Uh, 424 projected slugging. But do you really want to go for a shortstop 99 spots earlier to get a few extra home runs? I don't think so. That is why Paul DeYoung is my number nine bust for 2018. Didn't get to my number nine outlier. Have to save that for next show. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in. I will be back tomorrow, Wednesday, same time, 3 Eastern, noon Pacific. Take care, everybody. Have a great day.